Player Profiler Posse, we are back for another week of First Mover. We are past week four, a quarter of the way through the NFL season, and man, what a week it was. We had the Bills handle the Dolphins handily. We had Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears offense come alive through the air. Fields tossing four touchdowns, narrowly still in the running for the first overall pick, but their offense came alive a little bit. We had a rookie, C.J. Stroud, dismantling the Pittsburgh Steelers. We had all kinds of fun in week four, not even to mention the overtime game, the Rams and the Colts. Anthony Richardson, anytime he is involved, he is going to push the game environment. We also had another overtime game in the Washington Commanders, pushing the Philadelphia Eagles again. We might remember this team handed the Eagles their first loss after an 8-0 start last season, and they took him to overtime with a last-second-as-time-expired touchdown. That week was insane, and it looks like we got another insane week on the docket for us in Week 5, so that is what we're going to dive into. Quick disclaimer, unfortunately, my guest for this week fell through, so we are recording this late, and we are recording it solo-style. So stick with me. I am Hilo, and this is First Mover. So as always here, we're going to start off by taking a look at the slate itself. That's a little small. Let me help you out here. That's a little bit better. Taking a look at the slate on the horizon, we only have a 10-game slate because this is the first week of buys. We also have the early morning game with the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Buffalo Bills. So we're left with a 10-game slate. And this slate appears a little bit different than what we've seen up to this point in the season. We have three games with a game total approaching or surpassing 50 points here. The first one, we have the New York Giants. I'm recording this after Monday Night Football, so sorry, Giants. Uh, The Giants are in some trouble here. The Giants have scored a total of three offensive touchdowns, and all three of them came in the second half versus the Arizona Cardinals back in week two. This is an offense that is struggling. They just gave up 10 sacks, had three turnovers. Danny Dimes looks lost, but we still have a nice lofty game total here. 49 points with the Miami Dolphins instilled as lofty 10 and a half point favorites. We also have that same Philadelphia Eagles team that we discussed can basically put up points if they want to, whenever they want to. It's just a matter of them being pushed to want to enter a Los Angeles Rams team that is surprising people. They're turning heads and they are playing some pretty good football. And while it's highly unlikely in my mind that we see Cooper Cup return to play, I think it's likely that we see his 21-day practice window activated on his way off of the IR. And then finally, the game of the week. Well, kind of, we have kind of three games of the week this week, but we have the Kansas City Chiefs traveling to Minnesota to play a Vikings team that can score points with the best of them, and they can give up points with the best of them. So this is a very interesting slate. Just looking at the top level, top down, instead of kind of one like clear and away game of the week that we've had over the first four weeks, we kind of have three top expected game environments here on this slate for week five. Behind those top game environments, 
there's not a lot going on. The next highest game total is down here at the Carolina Panthers and the Detroit Lions game total of 45.0, but the Lions are favored by nine points. Probably going to have a lot of recency bias associated with this game. Dave Montgomery coming off of that three touchdown game. Once you get past that, we have a Bengals team that is all kind of out of sorts taking on an Arizona Cardinals team who is playing some competitive ball games here. This has been an interesting one to break down. And we also have at 43.5, the last game in the afternoon, the New York football jets taking on the Denver Broncos. And we kind of know how not good this Denver Broncos team has looked this year. So from a macro perspective, we can expect a lot of ownership to flow to those top three game environments and more specifically to the Miami Dolphins, to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Los Angeles Rams, and to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Minnesota Vikings. Let's look at that first, or I guess that last game environment first, being the Kansas City Chiefs and Minnesota Vikings. The Chiefs have not looked themselves up to this point, and we've talked about this so far over the first four weeks. The fact that Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, these guys have been there. They have tasted success. And they have legitimate Super Bowl aspirations this year as well. They know this is a long season. And over this first month, I get the feeling that Andy Reid is kind of feeling out his team. What does he have? What works? You've seen it with the snap rates amongst their wide receivers. They're mixing and matching. And while they did do that last year as well, we had a more firm top three last season. When you look at this season, it's basically from a snap rate perspective, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and everybody else. Sky Moore is kind of up there. Kadarius Toney is playing minimal snaps, but he's seeing elite targets per route run rate. So he's seeing schemed usage when he's on the field. We have... Everyone from Watson to like all these guys are mixing in no less than five or six guys on a weekly basis. So to me, instead of that being taken as more predictive of what to expect over the entire season, I view that as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are trying to figure what figure out what works and how they want their offense to look to three months from now when these games matter a little bit more. And even with their offense relatively to their standards underperforming to this point in the season, they're still sitting at a three and one record. So this team is right where they want to be in my mind. They are working through what they want their offense to be. Their defense under loose bags is playing well enough for them to continue winning games. And Eventually, we're going to see this offense kind of transform into more of what they want it to be heading into the postseason. They're not there yet, and they have not looked good. But a game against the Minnesota Vikings is interesting because, to me, the spot sets up where it could go one of two ways. We could see the Vikings continue to struggle to put up points. They've struggled in the red zone. We could see them settling for field goals early or turning the ball over early. And the Kansas City Chiefs are allowed to kind of control that game environment. And that's, I think, what the early Vegas line here of Kansas City favored by five points is kind of pointing at. We also have the other end of that spectrum 
which is the inflated game total here, which is the Minnesota Vikings can put up points with the best of them. And when you look at the, the state of this loose Bagnuolo Kansas City defense, they run a ton of zone coverage behind a defensive front that they look to get organic pressure. They will dial up some unique blitzes, but Spags is more concerned with settling into zone coverage and allowing the play to develop in front of him and basically trying to get his defensive four to generate pressure organically without having to blitz. So that means a lot of zone coverages for the Minnesota Vikings. You look at a team where they have the top wide receiver in the league and Justin Jefferson, who's capable of beating man. He's capable of beating zone. He has, has the smarts to be able to diagnose a defense, see what they're giving him and find those spots underneath. They also have a, an elite pass catching tight end. We'll, we'll say if you, do, if you, if you're going to argue about the elite part, we'll at least say a volume tight end. Uh, he's somewhere in the range of volume tight end to elite tight end. I'll leave that over to you. We're not going to dive into that, but this veteran volume tight end that is capable of also beating zone coverages. What's most interesting to me is rookie Jordan Addison, because he is likely going to be asked to play some slot snaps. And typically from a historical representation of where loose Bagnuolo is weakest against defending, it's against opposing tight ends and opposing pass catching running backs and opposing slot wide receivers. Why is that? Because that's typically the soft spot in his too high kind of cover two, cover three shell. So when you're talking about who has the potential in a game environment that could take off, if the Vikings are finding success, it's highly likely to force the chiefs to have success, which in turn kind of has the snowball effect where now the Vikings are trying to keep pace by scoring points because their defense isn't really slowing anybody down right now. But Jordan Addison is very interesting in this type of setup, a guy who is playing almost exclusively from uh, 11 personnel, and also TJ Hawkinson here, uh, multi-touchdown upside for sure. So this is a game that sets up very interestingly. Let's now move to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Los Angeles Rams, and the Rams are... I will say one of the offenses that is pushing the league to break out of this kind of lull in scoring. And what do I mean by that? There was a sound bite or a, a video bite from Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, this week that said, in this copycat league, most coaches, he singled out three of them, but most coaches, he says, are looking to one man and copying some of the things that he's doing. That man is Mike McDaniel in Miami. But what was interesting is the three coaches that he brought up in this discussion were Mike McDaniel, himself, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McVay. That's interesting because all those guys hail from the Gary Kubiak West Coast offense, spread zone concept run scheme type offense. But what he highlighted that the league is kind of copying from Mike McDaniel, and this takes a very specific player type to do, and we'll get into that here shortly, is they're basically breaking the mold of the standard one through nine route tree. Why is that important? Because that is kind of what 
this too high, the shift to too high across the league is built to kind of handle. And so Mike McDaniel is saying, I'm just not, I'm going to have these dynamic type wide receivers run routes that don't really match up with a one to nine route tree. And the play in question is Tyreek Hill in motion pre-snap. He is coming in the formation at the snap of the football. He breaks back out from the slot. So he motions from wide into the slot. He breaks back out wide and he runs this like rounding route over the middle of the field. And it settles right into the weakness of the dropping safeties because the safeties in a too high shell are responsible for cheating up against the run and dropping back against the pass. And typically in today's too high league, those safeties are 18 to 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Quick side note, Jonathan Gannon in Arizona is running a too high shell defense, but his safeties are 12 to 14 yards. So it's like a shallow too high. And that is throwing, that is what is throwing opposing offenses and offensive coordinators and quarterbacks into a loop and keeping the Cardinals in these games. That's a story for another day. But this, this weird motion inside from wide to the slot and then kicks it out wide and runs this looping route that ends right in the shallow or the, the, the soft spot of too high coverage behind the linebackers who are dropping it like a Tampa two, they're dropping in coverage to cover tight ends and running backs and the, the safeties that are backpedaling now because they don't see a route developing in front of them. <laughs> this, and then comes Tyree kill running 22 miles per hour. What looks like a deep crossing route, but it's this weird, like bent, route and in order to make that happen and be successful you have to have this dynamic fast shifty wide receiver what is interesting about that is Kyle Shanahan is using Debo Samuel in that way running the exact same play and on the Rams with Sean McVay that is 2-2 at will so to me it's very interesting how this offense is going to look once Cooper Cup comes back. But like I said, I don't expect Cooper Cup to come back for this week. That means that Van Jefferson is probably going to continue playing these rather empty uh, Z-type wide receiver role and routes that are designed to manipulate safeties downfield as well, which opens up that underneath spot for these weird looping crosser. They don't fit a regular route, uh, which is where Tutu Atwell is operating. That discussion is very interesting against a Philadelphia Eagles defense that does not have coverage linebackers. Their linebackers are very good at playing this edge type rush the passer role. They draft it as such. They know if they can be stout up front against the run, they can force teams into second and third and long situations and bring these athletic freak linebackers to play Demi linebacker edge and rush the quarterback and challenge for the league record in sacks. I did it last year. That's what they're doing again this year. So that player, the most important player, I think for the Rams this week, while Tutu Atwell will eat because he is that good Tutu or sorry, Puka Nakua, Puka Nakua will eat because he is that good. He is one of the smartest wide receivers I've seen, rookie wide receivers, that is, 
I have seen come out of college in quite some time. Everything that I've seen from this man tells me that he is going to have staying power in this league. He is going to be around for a while. The Breakfast Club narrative, that's a no-shitter. That's a real thing because that shows me that he showed up and immediately went to his quarterback and went to the alpha wide receiver on the team and said, teach me, oh, wise ones, I am here to learn. And that can't be taught. But Tutu Atwell is likely going to be the key to the Rams' offensive success. He is a guy who has seen eight or nine targets in every game this season. So very, very constricted and... um, Count, count, I don't even know what to say. Uh, consistent, there we go. Very consistent role in this offense. He's thrown every now and then some carries, some jet sweeps. Um, he is the motion man in this offense. And again, why is that important? Because there's really three ways that new age offenses are combating and looking to exploit too high shell coverages. And that is pre-snap motion. That is a Z-type wide receiver that is used as a safety manipulator. Look at Marquez Valdez-Scantling in Kansas City. Look at Van Jefferson in uh, Los Angeles. These type, these fast wide receivers that are have straight line speed, that have acceleration out of cuts, that are used in routes to influence one of those deep safeties. The third way is via the quarterback, the quarterback's eyes, the quarterback's positioning and the quarterback's movements in the pocket. The good thing about too high is it one, it looks very similar to a quarterback pre-snap. You can run cover three from it. You can run cover two from it, uh, cover three from nickel. You can run quarters. You can run quarters press. You can run all these different defensive schemes from that same alignment. So it confuses and it, it confuses quarterbacks by showing them the same pre-snap snapshot before the ball is snapped. Quarterback looks up, takes the snap and he's seeing the same thing. So the quarterback's positioning has influence to that, but the two major things that offensive coordinators can utilize at their disposal, that pre-snap motion and that Z type wide receiver, the Rams have both of that. And they've been utilizing both of that. And that pre-snap motion guy is Tutu Atwell. If you look at his snap or his splits, his targets per route run rate when he is the motion man versus when he is not, he's pushing almost 35% targets per route run when he is the motion man. And he is down around 18%. So almost half of his targets per route run rate when he's the motion man when he is not in motion. And that tells me that he is this Tyree kill. He is this Debo Samuel. He's not talented like those guys are yet, but he's being utilized in the same way in this Sean McVay offense. So that is very interesting to me in this matchup where we can expect the Philadelphia Eagles to again, hammer down on the run, stop that, force the Rams into second and third and long, and then allow their linebackers to create pressure. But Sean McVay is a very, very good offensive designer. And if he is penciling up his plays for this game, 
we're probably going to see some very unique aspects and looks for Tutu Atwell. Obviously, the Eagles, they can win wherever they want to. They can win on the ground. They can win through A.J. Brown. They can win through Devonta Smith. They can win through Dallas Goddard. They can win pretty much any way they want to. But it's a matter of, are the Rams going to find a way to push them throughout the duration of this game? The Rams are also overperforming on defense, which introduces a little bit of uncertainty for this game environment. But Tutu Atwell, I think, is the key to forcing this game environment to explode, which is what we're looking for when we're hunting for upside in these spots. Finally, with the Miami Dolphins and the New York Giants, we teased uh, them as being that third aspect uh, that is of interest early on when we're taking a look at this slate. And the Miami Dolphins should be able to win any way they choose. And they have proven that they are not just this heavy pass rate over expectation offense this year. They are very capable and able to win on the ground and willing to win on the ground if the opportunity presents itself. And now they're facing a New York Giants rush defense that is bottom three across the board in all rush metrics this season. I don't know if it's going to be Raheem Mostert. I don't know if it's going to be Devon Achan. Achan took over the Lions share of the rushing load in the second half against the Bills. But this is a get right spot for the Miami Dolphins after that letdown performance on the road in Buffalo against the Bills. Obviously, Tyreek Hill can win against anybody. This is not a prohibitive matchup. Jalen Waddle can win against anybody, not a prohibitive matchup. But if going here, that would be the extent of my exposure. The backfield, Tyreek Hill and Devonta Chain, a Chan, changed his name again, man. He probably changed his name again since I started recording this. So look out for that. I'm just kidding. Uh, the dude is a boss and he can say, he can correct whoever the hell he wants here. Uh, so those are the top game environments. I am tired of talking, but before we send it over to the Podfather for a quick word, if you guys are not on underdog drafting these battle royales, when you get a new game, it is more exploitable when less people know what they're doing and less people have figured it out. So the Battle Royales are a great way over on Underdog to get some exposure to that DFS itch in a game format that has not yet been... We don't even want to use solved because DFS is not solved, but it is more figured out than Battle Royale. Also, go take a look at their pickums because that has been my most profitable aspect of this season so far. I have been treading water in DFS, um, winning a little bit here, losing a little bit there. I have not hit that big score yet. I know it's coming. It's coming. But I'm up about seven, eight grand just in pickums through four weeks of NFL. So go check that out. And with that, here's the Podfather for a quick word on Underdog Fantasy. <laughs> It has been two years since Josh Larkey paved the way for fantasy gamers to start expecting positive returns from Pick'em Games, specifically 
underdog pickums. And how do you do it? Well, you look at the slate and you find a great shootout or a sneaky shootout. You also look for a shit show game. Three, four, five, six guys in one game. That's right. You can do it. You can do it. And you can 100x your payout on underdog. Think about week one. Jets-Bills was a shit show. Did we see the Aaron Rodgers injury coming? No, but we knew the Jets have a good defense. We knew the Bills have a good defense. Why not expect the worst? And the worst is what we got. So if you had gone Dalvin Cook less than, Garrett Wilson less than, Aaron Rodgers less than, Josh Allen less than, Gabriel Davis less than, boom, 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 you can go six for six. Same thing in week two. Oh, week two. Well, sneaky shootout there in Philadelphia. Minnesota's going to be in comeback mode, so we'll go Cousins, Jefferson, Hawkinson, more than, Madison, less than, but also Swift, more than. Boom, 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 boom. That's how you do it with the underdog pickums, and you use promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. You put in 100 underdog matches that deposit up to 100 bucks with promo code UNDERWORLD. Go start picking. And we're back. And that's how it's done. Leverage those game environments in your pickums to get multiple multiple things right with one game environment. If you play to a game environment, you get multiple things right. I hit a $4,000 pickum in Thursday night football of week four, and I did it at halftime. Just leverage the game environment. Packers passing attacks over, and it came. It came, baby. And when they come, they come hard. Sounds terrible. Uh, Anyway, we are back. Let's take a look at the... Let's pull up some DraftKings and take a look at the slate. So we talked about the top three game environments. It's really two plus. It's really the top two game environments plus the Miami Dolphins. So I got these guys highlighted right here. Let's take a look real quick. Again... Apologies for being solo. This one is not going to go a full hour because it's really, really hard to sit here and talk by yourself for a full hour. So this will probably be around 45 minutes, but stick with us. We're going to get some good nuggets out here. We talked about Patrick Mahomes, how he is. Kansas City offense does not look like they are what they're going to look like at the end of the year. But we have Patrick Mahomes, who has tossed multiple touchdowns in three out of four games. He's put up 20-plus fantasy points in three out of four games. And I know you're thinking, Hilo, he's priced as the highest-priced quarterback on the slate. You need more than 20 points for him to pay off. And you are absolutely correct. And why is that? That is not just because Patrick Mahomes is underperforming from a salary multiplier perspective. That is because look at the other quarterbacks on this slate. We have Jalen Hurts. Let's look at him. He has scored three rushing touchdowns in four games. We have... Oh, no. (laughs) Stick with me here. I only had these games highlighted. We have Lamar Jackson. Let's look at him. Four rushing scores over his last two games. And this is with a new offensive coordinator that has already said, he's not going to run a whole lot. Okay, dude. Todd Monken, show me your offense is going to be anything, and then we'll believe you, bro. Uh, I don't believe you, bro. But yeah, he's put up over 29 fantasy points in each of those last two games with elite rushing production. Let's look at 
What is going on here, Mr. Anthony Richardson? Three rushing touchdowns in what? Four, ten quarters of play. He played until the two-minute warning in week one against Jacksonville. He played the first half and left prior to halftime against Houston. Scored two rushing touchdowns before he left. And then he finally, we finally saw a full four quarters out of Anthony Richardson in week four, leading that comeback, taking his team into overtime against the Rams. And you saw that sweet, sweet production, two passing touchdowns through the air, another one on the ground on the backs of 56 yards. The two almost or complete games that he has played, he has 10 rushes in each game. He has a rushing score in each game. And then he had those two rushing scores in the first half against the Houston Texans. So when we're talking about what we need out of our quarterback up here for a pocket passer plus, we'll say, Pat, there's two types of mobile quarterbacks. There is your escapability, your escape artist, Patrick Mahomes. There are your rushing upside quarterbacks. Your Justin Fields, your Jalen Hurts, your Lamar Jackson, your Anthony Richardson. Those guys are capable of inflicting so much damage on the ground that they not only take away from the rest of their production for the rest of their pass catchers, but they can put the slate out of reach if they are also bringing those pass catchers with them. And that is the most interesting point. If you look at the optimal rosters of the last three years, you'll find rushing quarterbacks are strewn all about the top overall performance on a given week. You'll also see that at a, an extremely high frequency, we're talking like 88% every time a mobile quarterback, mobile upside quarterback, the guys that can just crush the slate with their legs, every 88% of the time, they also brought a pass catcher along with them in the optimal build. You look at when Jalen Hurts is optimal, highly likely that either AJ Brown or Devontae Smith is also optimal on that week. You look at Justin Fields. He was optimal twice last year. The first time Cole Komet was also optimal. The second time Cole Komet was the second optimal, second highest scoring tight end on that week behind only Travis Kelsey. What happened last week when Justin Fields well, he didn't put the slate out of reach because Josh Allen beat him, but he put up a nice, solid 32 fantasy points. Cole Komet and DJ Moore brought along. Look at Lamar Jackson. His optimal hit weeks also, at a high frequency, bring along Mark Andrews. But in that discussion of putting the slate out of reach, Patrick Mahomes, in this current state of the Kansas City Chiefs, Highly unlikely because while he can score a rushing touchdown, he is more considered an escapability quarterback. He's able to escape plays. His sack rate is very low. He's able to extend and he's able to rush if he needs to. But he is not a mobile upside quarterback like Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Anthony Richardson now. So at this top range in quarterback pricing, we're either playing to game environment or we're looking for those rushing upside mobile quarterbacks. 
So Anthony Richardson is still in that picture. Outside of those guys, if you're going below the upper tier, we need a quarterback that can keep pace from a salary multiplier perspective and those elite level in pricing quarterbacks not put the slate out of reach. So when we look at the teams that are up there in Vegas implied team totals, we have the Miami Dolphins. We just talked about how they are not afraid via their outside zone run blocking scheme. And now Mike McDaniel, the madman, he is introducing the inside zone run blocking concepts. They are not afraid. They are right around the league average and pass rate over expectation this year. They're not afraid to win on the ground. And they have two backs now in Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan that can do that. So Tua Tagabailoa, Tonga Bailoa, my fault, uh, it loses a little bit of, of allure for us on this slate. Philadelphia Eagles and Los Angeles Rams. We've seen some pretty significant yardage totals from Mr. Matthew Stafford. And he's put up 300 yards passing plus in three out of his four games, but the touchdowns have not been there. But we just got done talking about how the against the Philadelphia Eagles, it's highly unlikely that the Rams are going to find the same level of success on the ground. So if Matthew Stafford is throwing for 300 yards against the Eagles, possible, and he finds some touchdown variance swing in his favor, he is one of these quarterbacks who is priced below the elites that can has it within his range of outcomes to provide a score that keeps pace from a salary multiplier perspective with the upper echelon, as long as, with the caveat, as long as none of those guys are putting the slate out of reach. So that's a quick down and dirty on the quarterback spiel. At running back, we got a little bit of a mess here up top. Saquon Barkley is expected back from his high ankle sprain. Uh, we don't know what his snap rate is going to look like in this spot. And then it's down to Bijan Robinson and Derek Henry. Uh, Bijan is involved in the past game, but we've seen his red zone role kind of be shared with Tyler Aljair. Derek Henry is a guy who is extremely interesting. I played him this past week where he's one of those backs that always has the path to 25 to 30 opportunities in the right game environment. And we talk about what is the right game environment for Tennessee to feed Derrick Henry touches. And it's simply a game where Tennessee is able to control the game environment. So that's just a game where they're not getting blown out. They were able to play the entire first half against the Bengals to a tight game. And then they kind of took over in the second half. We're able to just run Derrick Henry. We also have Jonathan Taylor, who is returning to practice. So this top echelon of running back pricing I can already tell you is going to be very, very light on ownership this week because people are going to be kind of all these guys have question marks. And so people are not going to want to click their names. But when you look at how that compares to the wide receivers, it's basically people are going to be paying up for Justin Jefferson. And that's kind of it from a what stands out to us right now perspective, because Tyreek Hill extremely massive uh, spread favored by 10 and a half points. Cooper cup, not likely in my mind to come back off of IR for this game. Although I expect him to return to return to practice AJ Brown in a perceived difficult matchup, but he's the most interesting to me here, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, because both of these guys, if they are the flavor of the week for 
the Philadelphia Eagles, and we know that can rotate, and we know they buy into things like squeaky wheel narrative and all these different things, but if they are featured on a given week, they have as much upside as anybody else uh, at pass catcher. Then you start getting into Amon Ross St. Brown and Puka Nakua, uh, Jalen Waddle in that same kind of caveat as Tyreek Hill. Jamar Chase has the the Bengals <laughs> looked atrocious, and that is not Joe Burrow. That is not Joe Burrow's injury. That is Zach Taylor. We'll save that discussion for another day. Um, and then down to Chris Olave. So what I mean by that is we don't have a ton of guys who are priced here up in the elites. So I expect, because nobody wants to click on the top running backs, Christian McCaffrey isn't on the slate, and there's very few players up top here at wide receiver that immediately jump off the page as they normally would, I expect we're going to see a little bit more balanced rosters as kind of the chalk, uh, I call it the chalk build, how the pieces fit together on a slate like this. So we're talking about running backs like Miami's backs, they're both priced around 2K or 6K here. Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan. Uh, we're talking about mid-range wide receivers like your Puka, Nakua, uh, priced below the elites here at 7-7. We're talking about guys like um, Nico Collins is probably going to get some steam this week. So I expect a lot more of these balanced builds. And the fact that we don't, have 13 games on the slate we only have 10 limits the options and people are going to be struggling i think to find the value to plug in some of these top level guys so immediately what jumps off the page to me is a little bit more heavy interest in these high-priced running backs that kind of shakes up how we build uh for this week looking at tight ends real quick before we go here where are we at? We're about 38 minutes. Yeah, we'll round out some tight ends and then we'll get out of here with you. We have Travis Kelsey, who is still not playing a full four Travis Kelsey allotment of snaps. We have TJ Hawkinson in one of the top game environments. We have Mark Andrews in a difficult perceived matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we have Darren Waller, who has basically been non-existent. Uh, another game of just three targets in week four. This team is not delivering on their promises uh, with their primary free agent acquisition this season. So what I mean by that is I expect TJ Hawkinson to be fairly popular on the slate. Outside of that, we're probably going to see a ton of people paying down at tight end into this range of looking for the greens over here. So your Tyler Higbee's, your Dallas Goddard's, your Zach Ertz even is probably going to gain some steam here for us this week. Your Chigga Conquo, your Tyler Conklin, your Hayden Hurst. These guys in this middle range to pay down range are probably going to be as a group garner a lot of ownership. So again, that makes a very interesting case for paying up at tight end when nobody wants to, because we have some elite talent here. We talked about, Mark Andrews with Lamar Jackson. Both of these guys can basically win in any matchup. Mark Andrews' production is highly tied to touchdowns. We know his red zone role is elite, but if Mark Andrews is catching multiple touchdowns, Lamar Jackson is throwing multiple touchdowns plus his rushing upside. So very, very interesting. Uh, just from the top rip, look at the slate. Uh, potential stacking there. TJ Hawkinson. I, on this slate, let's talk real quick about Mr. Kirk Cousins 
on this slate, based on where Kirk Cousins is priced at 6,900, based on the elite talent we have at the quarterback position, Kirk Cousins is a name I'm simply skipping over uh, almost immediately. And you say, how the hell can you say that? I mean, he has three out of four games with 44 pass attempts or more, and he's thrown multiple touchdowns in every game because this is a guy that is never going to put the slate out of reach. Highly, highly unlikely. He could pop for a 30-burger, but he's never going to pop for a 40-burger. He's never, uh, very rarely, going to peak 35 fantasy points. Uh, just, just who he is, how this offense is run. And if that is the case, TJ Hawkinson primarily utilized as a one-off instead of paired with his quarterback. So some interesting things to think about this week. As always, you know what's up. Throw us a follow. Come check us out on Roto Underworld. Check out Player Profiler's unique suite of tools. And until next time, I'm Hilo, and this was First Mover. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.